Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favorite t-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30, Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. And uh, good evening, good afternoon. It's Communication Mixdown. It's our first show for 2017. I'm John, and I'll be here with you till 6.30, this is where we talk about all kinds of communication. People ask me, well, what's communication mixed down all about? It's all about all the various forms of communication that are around us, in woven into our everyday world, our everyday life. And that includes media, old and new, but also all kinds of things like language and uh, Various things like, well, even like fashion. And uh, those are the kinds of things that we will be dealing with on Communication Mixed Down. Well, it is our first show for 2017. And um, it seems like it's very appropriate to uh, basically talk about social media and uh, probably what amounts to the most controversial and some say the most revolutionary form of communication that's emerged in the last decade. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, it's sure know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. going to be talking about social media, and uh, as it turns out, there are about half the population of the world right now who has access to the internet, and about a third of those are people active on social media. One of those developments that's occurred as a result of the widespread adoption of social media is the way that it can be used to mobilize groups very quickly around pressing social issues. Bianca Fowlborn works in the field of criminal justice at the University of New South Wales, and she's been investigating the way that women can use social media to speak about experiences of harassment and sexual assault. I was able to speak to her earlier in the week about her research. I want to quote something back from what you wrote, and you said that social media and online spaces are increasingly being used as a site for women's resistance to men's violence. And to illustrate, you used two examples. One was an incident on a tram in Melbourne, 
and one from the Donald Trump campaign. And probably most people are familiar with the Donald Trump incident. But tell us what happened in relation to social media. Yeah, so this was an incident that happened late last year in Melbourne. Um, so there was a woman who was you know, on a tram in Melbourne, um, and there was a guy who had been sitting across from her and I think was, you know, leaning forward, leering at her, um, invading her space, asking her a lot of unwanted questions and so forth. Um, and he'd done that to, you know, multiple other women on the tram. And this woman had posted quite an extensive um, rant, I guess, about it on her Facebook post you know, talking about how sick she was of having to encounter these kinds of things, you know, on a really regular basis. So this wasn't just a one-off incident for her. It's something that she'd experienced, you know, again and again um, in her, you know, daily life, going about public spaces. Yeah, so she posted about this on Facebook, um, talked about how, you know, it impacted on, on her life and how furious she was about it and encouraged all of her friends to share the post um, if they felt the same way or had also experienced what she was talking about. Uh, and this post quite quickly went, went viral um, and was shared, you know, amongst thousands and thousands of people, um, both in Australia and internationally, and drew quite a significant amount of media attention as well. And you also used the example of uh, the Donald Trump incident. And, and give us a... I mean, most people probably know about that, but what was the social media response? Yeah, so this was, you know, we all know about Trump's quite um, charming comments about grabbing women by the pussy, not that they really bear repeating here. Um, but, you know, though the comments that he made were quite quickly just used to being locker room banter. It was just a bit of a joke with the boys. Um, and, of course, the women who have that lived experience of the types of things that Trump was, you know, making light of, we know that it's not just a joke. It's not just some trivial experience or a bit of a bit of a joke with the boys. So women really took to um, social media and particularly Twitter quite quickly um, to actually share their own experiences of, of being sexually assaulted and, and the impacts that that had on them. So they were, I think, quite effectively able to um, challenge this idea that oh, it was just a bit of a joke or a bit of a bit of banter with the boys by. Um, you know, talking about how it impacted on them and that it, it wasn't trivial. It was actually quite traumatic or terrifying or it had this really long-lasting impact uh, on their lives. And again, that was something that you know, thousands and thousands of women were, were sharing their experiences. So, you know, it's quite a powerful collective of voices. And uh, I guess what I, 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 I'm taking from what you've been saying is that your, your um, view is that the online responses from women demonstrate a widespread root and routine harassment of, by men in public spaces. And I guess what you're sort of suggesting is this kind of harassment is something that women have to deal with on a daily basis and right through their whole lives. But it's very regularly dismissed as, as you said, a joke, as a locker room banter, even as a compliment. Um, and something that you, you said in what you wrote, which I thought was very interesting, was that these intrusions decrease a sense of social trust. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So that's based on some research that I did with people in Melbourne who'd experienced street harassment. And, you know, one of the, the biggest impacts that people talked about was that you don't know if, 
you know, a guy on the street that you're walking past. You don't know if he's about to engage in um, harassing behaviour or not. You know, if someone comes up to you and asks you the time, for example, which seems like a really, you know, innocuous kind of social interaction, but in the back of your mind it's always... You know, why are you asking me this? Is this going to lead to something else? Is this just a ruse to then, I don't know, tell me that you think I look nice or to start to engage in some kind of harassing behaviour? So all of the interactions that, you know, people were having with strangers and particularly strange men in public spaces were just, um, you know, done through this very wary kind of lens of, you know, what, what do you want and what's going to happen? And, you know, people really didn't, just didn't trust um, people that they didn't know, uh, and particularly men in public spaces. And, you know, that has a really profound um, impact on how you go about your life in public space and how you're able to, um, yeah, interact with other people. And I guess what you're getting at is there's a connection between what you've just described and the use of social media. And I guess what you're trying to say and, and what your research is pointing to is that Social media offers a new expressive space for women to push back, but also uh, I think you're suggesting there's a kind of, um, I suppose, a kind of justice which is involved in this as well. Yeah, that's right. So a lot of people in my own research were quite explicitly using online spaces um, as a way to achieve some sense of justice, so there were spaces where they could share what had happened in their own words, you know, in a way that was meaningful for them, that expressed the harm of what had happened. You know, there were spaces that were not always, but were often quite supportive, where other people would, you know, respond and say, you know, I believe you, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, They could provide really validating responses to things that, you know, victims of street harassment in particular, but also sexual assault don't often get that kind of response so that could be really powerful um it could at times be used as a form of a way of um exposing and punishing perpetrators um although that's quite controversial but yeah so it certainly certainly could be used as as a way of, of achieving some form of justice and perhaps a broader sense of justice than what we might think of um when we think of you know going through the courts and then the criminal justice system you said there's a, a bit of controversy around some of the responses and, and you have commented on this in the, in the things that you've been writing that maybe there might be potentially an overreaction, an over-public shaming of, of perpetrators. You know, one of the really difficult things with online spaces and sharing stories online is that you don't know the magnitude of the response that you're going to get beforehand. So... For example, going back to the woman on the tram who shared her experience on Facebook, she, for example, could have had maybe five or ten people read that post and like it and it might have ended there. Um, But in that case, you know, as it happened, thousands of people picked up on it. But it's very difficult to predict beforehand what that response is going to be. And that does raise, I think, some pretty serious questions around things like um, proportionality and fairness, which are very fundamental principles of our criminal justice system. So we ensure that, you know, people who have done wrong are treated in a, you know, a fair manner and in a way that's proportionate to the harm that they've caused um, and in a way that's consistent with what, you know, how other perpetrators have been treated who have done similar things to them. Whereas with social media, you don't really have any of those kind of um, controls or, you know, procedural um, rights 
costs and, and um, you know, mechanisms kind of regulating what's going on. So, yeah, it makes it a very unpredictable space and it makes it very difficult to, you know, know if what you're doing is going to be um, proportionate or not. That becomes very, very difficult in particular where um, perpetrators are identified. So the uh, Melbourne woman um, on the tram actually posted a, a photo of her perpetrator where his face was visible, he was very readily identifiable. So there are questions about, well, was that response proportionate um, mm. to the harm that, that he caused? What are the ramifications for him and do they you know, greatly exceed what, what he's done? The other thing that's uh, interesting and also something that you've mentioned in, in your work is, is the backlash that occurs if uh, people are and women are posting in relation to these incidents. There can be a, a backlash of trolling and abuse online uh, as a response. And you've suggested that it, it ends up exacerbating the very thing that the women want to overcome. Yeah, that's right. And for example, I had one person in my um, Melbourne-based research who had shared her experience online, I think through her Facebook page, and you know, she had said that that was the worst decision that she ever made and that the response that she got from trolls was you know, far worse than the original harassment that she was posting about in the first place. And again, that's something that can be quite difficult to predict, at least on an you know, individual level. We don't know who's going to pick up on our posts who's going to share it, are they actually going to be sympathetic, are they going to, you know, give a supporting and a validating response or are they going to share it with all of their mates and encourage them to kind of, you know, pile on and and harass me and and abuse me. That's something that's been quite well documented with a lot of um, quite prominent feminist writers who really regularly receive those kinds of, um, you know, trolling and harassing um, responses. So it's you know, absolutely a possibility or one potential consequence of sharing things online and, um, you know, the outcomes of that can be quite devastating for some people. So, you know, while it certainly can be a space of justice and of, you know, contesting these really <clears throat> problematic norms and ideas about sexual assault and harassment, um, they're also quite complex and um, mm. yeah, complex spaces and there's not necessarily a straightforward or a predictable response um, to the things that you post or share. Let me finish by asking you this, and maybe it's something you, don't, you, you haven't researched, but you've given examples from the United States and the presidential campaign and something from Melbourne. Is, are there other instances that you've been looking at in other countries around the world where these things have been going on? So my research has all been based in, in Melbourne and in Australia. I am aware of groups in other countries that have been, um, you know, setting up online reporting tools and um, similar kind of spaces where women can share experiences and, you know, again, contest that kind of dominant uh, narrative. But it's really quite a new and emerging space. So I'm, you know, expecting that we'll start to see some more more stuff coming out over the coming years about how women are using these spaces. But certainly there is evidence to suggest that it's not just, um, you know, people in Australia or all Western countries that are engaging uh, in these spaces. And I was talking there with Bianca Feilborn. She's a lecturer in criminology at the University of New South Wales, and she was talking about the complex role that social media can play in relation to women's experiences of harassment and sexual assault. Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been 
supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. We're Communication Mixdown, and I've got Eva Evita March on the line. She works in the area of social media as well, and she's been taking a walk on the dark side of the Internet. She's been investigating online trolls and trolling behavior. Good evening, Evita. Hi, John. I like that dark side of the Internet. It's very appropriate. Okay. Well, let's uh, start with some basics. How would you define or how does one define an online troll, say, as opposed to a cyber bully? Yeah. Well, that's a good question because they can often be a bit similar. So a cyber bully is basically, we can think, the equivalent of bullying but in a cyber space. So it's usually a repeated, directed attack at one individual. Now, the difference is, is that for a bullying or cyber bullies, usually they might also know this person, um, usually in life, or they know them in a face-to-face context. Now, the cyber troll, although they have these repeated attacks, a very important difference is, one, usually they might not know the person face-to-face, but even more unusual is that they might not even believe what they are saying. They are saying it to get this kind of response from somebody and they might not know them, actually believe like, or be like we can see trolling and religious and political vaccination groups. They might actually be or believe those ideas, but they simply do it to try and get a rise out of people. Mm. And uh, you've tried to, I suppose you could, could say, do a profile of a, of a typical troll. And mm-hmm. you, you, you've talked about uh, or something, I, I, again, that, referring to the dark uh, side of this thing. It's called the dark, dark tetrad. And yeah. uh, what, what's all that about? It's about to do with the personality of the, of the troll person, person that's trolling. Yeah, so these dark personality traits, so it's a tetrad, so there's four personality traits that we look at, and we call them the darker traits. They include, like, narcissism and um, manipulation skills, but also sadism. Now, these traits, what's also important to remember is that they are non-clinical levels. So these people might not be diagnosed with, say, clinical levels of sadism and be a true sadist, but it's expected that everybody in the population has some degree of this trait. Everyone has some degree of narcissism. It just depends at what point it actually becomes like a pathological or clinical disorder. So these dark traits, I looked at whether they could predict the engagement in trolling. So whether people who had higher levels of these traits in the general population actually would engage in the behaviour of trolling more. And uh, and you found in in fact there is a as a I guess you could say a correlation is that right? Yes, no, exactly right. The correlation is just purely a relationship between these two variables, and I actually found that there was a significant relationship between what we call everyday sadism, so people who do just take enjoyment out of hurting others, but there was also a correlation between the term psychopathy. And what psychopathy encompasses is um, like dysfunctional impulsivity, people who might be callous and low levels of empathy. So it seems that the traits of being callous, having a lower level of empathy for others, and also taking enjoyment in hurting other people's 
psychologically and physically, were significant predictors of people engaging in trolling behaviours. It sounds very um, dark. I guess we could let's go back to that uh, that term we're using. It's becoming a bit of a theme, but. The other side of it, and this is my understanding of your research, you didn't want to just look at the personality profile, but you actually wanted to look at motivation as well. That yeah. is, what motivates a mm-hmm. troll to do what they're doing? And you talked about something called negative social potency. Tell us about that. All right. So why I also decided to look at motivation is because the main thing I think is important is profiling, fair enough, but what do we do? do about trolling and how can we actually stop it but more so how can we understand it and provide people with tools that actually I guess uh, protect themselves psychologically from these effects and I thought one way of looking at this is what motivates people to engage in this behavior well we would consider things like actually going online seeking out somebody to harass them with words that you might not even mean what is the point? <laughs> Why would people engage in mm. such as what we've seen would be pointless behavior? So I looked at motivation. And negative social potency is a form of social motivation when people are actually motivated by creating a bad social environment. So let's say a pro-social reward is when people feel good because they've created a good social environment. They've helped somebody or they've help somebody carry their groceries to a car. So Mm. that's feeling good from doing something positive socially. Negative social rewards are when you actually feel good after you have caused social disruption. You may have pitted two people together or in the case of trolling, it's almost as if throwing a verbal grenade into a crowd and creating this social mayhem. Mm Mm-hmm. So th- there is a kind of, I, to use that word, potency, there is a kind of potency mm. that people experience as, as a result of this sort of disruptive or um, uh, interfering kind of behavior. Absolutely. And although this is, um, because again, this research was very exploratory. Until this point, trolling had just been considered a quite synonymous with cyberbullying. But what I'm finding is they're actually very different In fact, one of uh, my research students this year looked at self-esteem and trolling because there's actually quite a common link between low self-esteem and engagement in cyberbullying. But she actually found that people who troll, there was no lower levels of self-esteem. So already we're finding that it's a different type of character Mm. that is engaging in these different behaviours. Avita, I would love to talk more with you about this research, and unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to go because our, our program is just about winding up. But I, I do want to come back to uh, talk to you maybe a bit later in the year. We can pick up on some of these themes because I think this is a very important issue in relation to social media. So thanks very much for being on Communication Mixdown. Thank you very much for having me, John. And I was talking there with uh, with. Um, Avita March, and she's a lecturer in psychology at Federation University. And as you heard, we were talking there about the shadow world of social media, the online troll. And we'll put some information on our website, the Communication Mixdown website, for you to follow through if you're interested in this in this area, these areas that we've been talking about today. we got to get out of here. We're just about out of time. And I'm John. We'll be back with communication mixed down next week.